this podcast now boasts its own Patreon page. Become a patron and join us in being a node to help spread awareness and hope. Details at patreon.com slash having a cuppa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new week from all of us here at Having a Cuppa. As is the routine of the program, this episode is recorded in the Mountain Valley in my cathedral, the Ministry of Sound. Following in the same vein as we did with Christina Lucia last week, I present to you one Julie DeLuca Collins. Julie gets rather open and transparent with regards to having grown up with childhood trauma. But don't think for a mere moment that label is what caged Julie's abilities as a whole. In fact, she's taken what is supposed to be the label victim and turned it into Vermeer. As we speak, Julie DeLuca Collins is steadfast in being a business coach, an author, and a speaker. She delves into the keys of success, overcoming those obstacles, and plus also venturing outside of her comfort zone to even doing her own thing and setting up her own podcast. This will be insightful for many reasons, so without further ado, we take you now to Julie DeLuca Collins with a nice serving of a froth on top. Here it comes. Be prepared. This is Having a Cuppa. Get ready for the show. A cup of your finest brew, thanks, love. Cheers, you're a gem. Let's get to it then. I've been involved in the media industry for almost 10 years, but what interests me most is the triumph of the human spirit. So off I go to Parts Unknown. This is The Journey. will lead us to the truths of the heart, taking us to destinations far and wide. From the US, the neighbors to the north, the UK, and everywhere else in the fray. Join me, sit back for the ride. Good tidings we bring. We're having a cuppa. Connecticut. 
It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's my pleasure to be with you today. The feeling is mutual. Now, Julie, the reason why I propositioned you to have onto the show, you've got a story to tell, and amongst them is child abuse and coping with food. Give me a little bit of background with regards to that deficiency, that shortcoming, and how it transpired you to do the work that you do today. Sure. So, and and I want to just clarify, it was more like childhood trauma and the childhood trauma is not necessarily abuse, but I grew up a worn foreign country. And this is something that for many of us, we don't realize that the experiences that we have as child, as children, um, tend to really affect us throughout our life. And for me... When I was little, um, my mom is from El Salvador and I was born in El Salvador. My my dad is from okay. New York and an American. But um, being there up to the age of 10, 11, I certainly started to experience the beginnings of the Civil War uh, that was going on in the country. And although I lived a very um, privileged, affluent life, there was still a war going on where as a child, the adults around me tried to make everything safe, yet... You couldn't help but to hear shootings or bombs or even hear the adults talking about uh, what was going on. So that created a feeling of um, not being safe. And that's really one of the things that we look for as individuals. We look for that safety. And for me, what I started to then create for myself as an adult is how do I create safety? How do I compensate for my nervous system being, uh, you know, in that flight or fight response that so many of us don't realize that we live our life in? And that's how, as an adult, I started to use food to buffer some of the emotions, to try to mask mm-hmm. some of the things that were going on. And, and that's really where my story is and continues to be written because I'm working through some of that now as an adult, not only for myself, But as I get better and I understand this process and how it can affect us and what we do in our life, um, how we relate to others, that's the work that I do with clients as well. Well, I love that dearly. And forgive me, I misread. Uh, Childhood trauma (laughs) is um, something that needs to be addressed today because the reason I say that, and I speak from a layman's terms, please hear me. Where as a child, you have a lot of experiences. I mean, a child is like a sponge in the beginning, mm-hmm. absorbing experiences, absorb, uh, absorbing emotions, absorbing character traits, and even absorbing trauma. Mm-hmm. There's a flip side to that coin, an uneven flip side. Because of uneven parenting structure, where it is said normally, get over it. You know, if you've got a little scraped knee, get over it. You'll be fine. What do we do then? We bury that. Yeah. Okay. But now, in the case of, I don't want to use this as an example, but I will. In the case of a dysfunctional family household, parents were either drunk, parents were Mm -hmm. uh, neglectful and whatever. That also is buried underneath because you have to toughen yourself up, fight for your turf emotionally. Uh, emotionally, forgive me for the for the swallowing of the word, emotionally to repeat myself, mentally, and more often times than not, even spiritually. And mm-hmm. you repress that experience as you go on throughout life, as you go through different peer groups, eventually up until the age of your 20s when you bugger off to varsity and so on and so forth. <laughs> but then just one fine day, just one fine day, that experience boils over like a pot boiling over. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think that for me, you know, um, I love that you brought in the experience of what happened in our 20s, because I think that um, rather than being uh, in my early adulthood and learning to sort of know that there was some trauma and things that I needed to really be able to work through, um, I went through another I, I hate to use the traumatic experience, but I, I went through a difficult experience. I was engaged and the young man that I was engaged to had a motorcycle accident. And, you know, all of these things really contributed again to me having that um, overwhelming feeling of not being safe and having my nervous system um, being bypassed 
right, by my behavior because I wasn't dealing with the the feelings I was experiencing. I I learned to not um, focus on those negative emotions, those negative, oh, yeah, I can't feel sad or you know what, I'm going to feel sad, but I should get over it, like you said. And I think that for many of us, that's one of the things that, you know, don't pay attention to the difficulty, don't pay attention to what's hard, but just move on, get past it be a survivor or be resilient. And there's nothing wrong and in, in, in there's great, um, great things that are accomplished when you become resilient, but there's also great power and understanding that you are not broken if you're dealing with difficult emotions or if you know something happens in your life that later, um, later on is triggering something that brings back some of the things that you dealt with um, when you were a child. Now I have to ask perhaps one of the most difficult questions, which has not been asked, I'm sure. In your workings with clients, and especially where the aspect of childhood trauma comes to the mm -hmm. fore, which generation have been the most liable? Millennials, Generation Xs, or what is now known as Generation Zs? So my um, primary work is done with Generation X. So I would say that I have the most experience in dealing with individuals that are my contemporaries in age. Now, although I do work with millennials and I have some clients that are millennial and some clients that are that last generation Z or Z, as we call it here in the States, um, what I find is because the majority of my clients tend to be the generation X, which I am a part of. I can only mm -hmm. speak to having a wider range of experience. And I think that many people in the 80s, you know, we talk about being the forgotten generation, the one that had to raise itself. Um, I think we were one of the first generations where both parents typically were outside of the home and we didn't have that mother figure in the home. So okay, I, I know that there. there's a lot of that. Sorry? Sure. I said, I can't deny you there. The the social roles were changing. I came along in the 90s. I'm okay. 92. And at that point, there was a parallel shift in the social hierarchy, you know, in the olden days where the mum used to be at home, clean the house, do the dishes, raise mm -hmm. the kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As technology, I like to think, has progressed. And because of the fact that technology is replacing human resources, it has started, it started to become vital. It's... Let's take a wild guess here, 85, maybe 87 at the least, where women needed to start getting involved in the workspace and ultimately as well, juggle double duty, you know, mm -hmm. trying to earn an income, then dash home after a nine to five when they are already mentally just exhausted mm -hmm. and also ensure that the kids have done their schoolwork, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, got the food ready and then plus also do their duties at, at night when cuddling <laughs> next to hubby right. in bed. That, I think, as well caused major societal pressure. But on that note, uh, Julie, what are some of the overlying symptoms of buried childhood traumas? Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that I see a lot is, number one, that we create these coping mechanisms. Our coping mechanisms and, and the positive intelligence, which I'm a part of the program, one of the things that we talk about is the saboteurs, the sabotaging behaviors that really create um, that uh, coping, but also as adults, um, when we are little and we're maybe your your parents are absent or you have an experience that is less desirable, right? And like, for instance, for me, I went through a war, a torn country. My dad left the country. My mom was um, left the country shortly thereafter. I was I stayed with my grandparents for a while. So my coping mechanisms, right, to be loved and accepted and feel safe became um being a high achiever because I could get attention. Also, the one who is restless, maybe I really focus on one thing and then after it became hard or too much or, oh, let's go to the next thing and being moving on from thing to thing. There's um, many individuals who use the saboteur, which is the pleaser, the people pleaser, or the one who's hyper 
sensitive, always thinking that the worst thing is coming around the corner. All these oh, behaviors. Started. Yeah, all these behaviors and saboteurs, as we call them, were created specifically to protect us as children. But as adults, they start to manifest in a way in which they sabotage our life. Um, I work with many women trying to build their business. And what I find right. is that um, maybe they have that pleaser, that people pleaser saboteur. And that served them well as a child. Maybe they were the agreeable. Maybe they were a person who was always trying to help. Um, but then as an the adult, yeah, the, the peacekeeper. As an adult, it doesn't serve you because you are no, putting others first. And the example that you shared of the mom who is out nine to five, comes home, takes care of the kids, makes dinner, then is uh, trying to do everything that she can to make her husband happy. That's the person that's putting themselves last. And what ends up happening mm. is that your tank is so empty that you don't have the capacity to take on the challenges that life presents you. And that is that is something that is very difficult to overcome. And this is what I work with women. Um, funny, interestingly enough, I was working with a client exactly on this. Um, she has a job, she has a business, she has kids, she has a husband, and she was feeling guilty because she was not up and running the early in the morning on her day off doing things around the house, but she decided to just take some time and read a book. Oh, right? Right. Right. And I have to tell you as well, Julie, I think a lot of men also suffer from this as well. It's a form of imposter Absolutely. syndrome, I'd like to think. You are 100% correct. Yeah. Because the For reason sure. I say that is with regards to the fact if you are a career person, you've worked mm -hmm. in a in an industry for a given amount of time, because that's what happened to me, I have to say. Um, I was a top 40, then a AOR, then a CHR, a radio DJ. I worked in two language formats. And then from that, I went into podcasting. Talk about being a fish out of water. And then yeah. ultimately going out from radio into television. And then when that went kaflui, I went back into radio. And then when that went kaflui again, I said, all right, I'm going into business for myself. Mm-hmm. Talk about survivor's guilt. Talk Absolutely. about survivor's guilt. Because now you've got to keep so many balls in the air, from five to ten balls in the air responsibility-wise, and your mind is consistently in the facet of, my overheads is X, I need to make Y profit in order to cover X overheads and maybe, maybe take 5% profit so mm -hmm. I can provide for the next month. And you run a business yourself yeah. in this regard. Your mind can kick into overdrive. Now, I have to add this in for perpetuity. <laughs> Go ahead. How many, how many times do we always hear it is imperative to switch off? It's imperative to be in the now, in the present. But now here comes the big question. How does one do that? Mm, such a good question. You know, um, my favorite thing is, and this is something that I teach my clients as part of this positive intelligence and building capacity and allowing the sage inside of all of us to really be present. Number one is we can, we don't have to, you know, meditate for half an hour. And I will tell you, meditation was something that I was really resistant to for a very long time because I thought, oh, that's too woo-woo for me. I, I don't have time. I can't clear my brain. I can't sure. sit still. Uh, but that's not what meditation is. Meditation can be as simple as sitting. Yeah, well, it could be, right? But okay. it, it could be just simple meditation or mindfulness exercises that keep you in the present ah. moment. Uh, maybe sitting with your feet on the ground and noticing that your feet are on the ground. Chris, if you were to take a deep breath right now and just feel what that breath feels like coming into your nose, into your nostrils, and then just filling in your belly and expanding your belly and letting it out, that's creating capacity and that's a mindfulness exercise that can keep you in the, in the present moment. I, I have a little ritual in the afternoons. Um, I, I did not grow up in England, but I love to make afternoon tea and I make an afternoon tea. And when I make my afternoon tea, I am very present. I make it a point to actually listen to the water as it boils and as the kettle is, is whistling to me. And I really like pay attention to the sound. Are you HSP? No. <laughs> Alchemy is it that you have a finely attuned ear then? 
Well, because I have a very loud kettle that says that I'm ready and my okay, water is that was boiling. Just a, that was just a summation on my part. <laughs> I retract my previous statement, but I hear exactly so what you're saying. You're fine, but I think that um, there is always an opportunity for us to pay attention to what is going on around you. But okay. we create this white noise that we're so involved with, right? Sometimes we have this um, misconception that we can be checking our phone, but also listening to the conversation around. Your brain is not programmed for that. Your brain is gonna automate what it can. And then it's going to then focus on another task. What I ask for people and my clients in particular to be able to create the capacity to be able to overcome some of the sabotaging thoughts and the behaviors that our thoughts create is to really create some mindful moments, some presence, um, focus on your breath. Maybe you wanna focus on rubbing two fingers together and being really aware of what that feels like. Um, and when right. you do that type of exercise, it can bring you quickly into the, into the present moment. Using your sensory and your kinesics to bring you back into the present, in other words. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes even if you're driving, right and you want to be in the present moment you can choose to say oh i'm driving i'm driving oh i'm thinking i'm thinking as thoughts are coming into your brain being aware you know it's not about shifting your thought or trying to avoid all the thoughts that come into your mind but mindfulness is just like oh i'm breathing and oh i'm thinking i have to pay my electricity bill Ooh, wait a minute, I just thought that, but okay, let me connect back to the breath. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about, I better put the laundry in the laundry. I'm thinking and being aware and allowing these thoughts. Think of your thoughts as a cloud that is floating above you. And you're oh, just cool. watching it go, right? Now in... Uh establishing these boundaries and establishing this, these rituals uh, on a list of one to ten making a list of your duties throughout the course of the day would you say that's also a prerequisite exercise to help categorize your thinking or what would be the alternative to getting through the yeah. punishments and rigor of a working day so one of the biggest things that i encourage my client is to use tiny habits to create change and to create capacity. Um, I am a tiny habits certified coach. And one of the greatest things that I've done is to become a tiny habits coach so I can coach myself. Because sometimes I, Clever. like I said, I'm a high achiever and I either like to go big or go home. But what happens is motivation will always fail us. And change doesn't happen because we are doing a certain habit or we are writing everything down. If we write a list of unending tasks and at the end of the day, we don't accomplish them all, then typically what our brain will do, because our brain tends to be negative, will say, oh, you're terrible, you didn't make it, you, you're, you, you're a failure. And, and, and you can tend to go into that negative. But if you create, um, number one, is just some simple steps, right? The other thing too that I ask my clients is, um, be able to just go little. So for instance, for me, I write, I open my calendar in the morning and my goal is not to write down everything that I have to do or write all my tasks. My goal is just to open my calendar and look at it. Okay. When I do, when I sit at my desk, that's my prompt. So I know that once I have that prompt, I'm always going to come into my office, always going to sit at my desk. So if I pair the exercise of opening my calendar for the day, to the prompt of sitting at my desk, then I'm gonna be successful, right? Tiny and when I, when I do that, then I celebrate that because our brain, research says that our brain changes when we feel good. So by giving myself a pep talk, oh, good job, Julie, you open your calendar, then you're creating that automicity, which is what the brain is looking for. And the next thing is, if I decide then, you know what, I'm going to take a look and see what is the most important thing that I need to accomplish today. And I come up typically with three, three tasks that are the most important things for the day. And those are the things that get scheduled. If I go above and beyond that, the three, it's a bonus, but I'm always looking to just celebrate that very basic, simple, small, tiny habit that is going to be something I can celebrate and remind myself that I was I, I was a, a winner by completing it. 
The other thing too that I invite my clients to do is to really create um, the type of calendar in which the tasks that are repetitive that you don't haphazardly say, oh, I have to create content or I have to make sales calls or I have to meet with clients. You create just always your ideal calendar so that you know at one o'clock on Wednesdays, that's always the day that you make your phone calls or 12 o'clock on Thursday, that's when you're going to meet prospective clients. Or if you're writing a blog or writing emails, you have writing time already set aside in your calendar. And your goal is that you're always going to get started with the first five minutes of the task. And if you did your five minutes, guess what? Your success. But create that um, that that space in within your week so that you are intentional and then you're creating the automation so that your brain remembers that this is what you're doing. That to me would be the physical embodiment of a famous quote by Winston Churchill that reads, success is going from failure to failure with unabashed enthusiasm. Mm, I love that. I think that that is so true. (laughs) Small efforts repeated daily. Now, Julie, tell me in the field of leadership and the Mm -hmm. concept of ownership, which or both do you practice or sorry let me rephrase that ownership and leadership do you think it is vital for self-starters and entrepreneurs today especially women entrepreneurs today and how would you uh, bring that over through your coaching you know ownership is something that's very important when you're a leader you have to first own yourself and you have to be able to be accountable to yourself because if you're not accountable to yourself, accountable for what you your expectations are, then it's very difficult to then, you know, tell people do what I tell you to do, but I'm not doing that. And then you really feel that cognitive dissonance when you when you do that. Number one, leaders also, I believe, are the people that empower others. They're not the ones who are telling people how to do it, but they're identifying the gifts of others and saying, you can. Let me believe in you and let me be the mirror that reflects to you what you're capable of doing. And as a coach, as a business owner, um, when you're in business for yourself, whether you are servicing clients or creating a product, is very important to identify what are your gifts and then being able to know what is not your gift as well as a business owner. Because as a business owner, many business owners end up doing things that sidetrack them and keep them from doing the work that matters in their business. That's part of leadership. Also saying, I need help um, and empowering others to help you. That's part of leadership. So I think that it goes hand in hand in my book. I love the way that you said that. And I think a lot of people who are going to be hearing this might actually cuss you behind your back. And here's the reason why I say that. They're allowed. (laughs) I've always said, I've coached a couple of people myself in my career. And I've always said the following. Don't be afraid to try out your versatility, your skills sets whatsoever. Fine, we all go to college if we are blessed to do so. Maybe if you're lucky, you go to an Ivy League a college like maybe for let's say for argument's sake you go to Yale or you go to Averill or Newton Mass whatever the case may be you study towards a profession but then during the course of the tertiary education process from year one to year three you discover a hidden talent that you yourself did not realize you had previously and then you start to develop that skill just through plain experience so ultimately I think Today, a lot of people should be discovering that, but that's only one part of the issue. To quote you especially, everyone wants to try everything. They want to invest in a business that they may know absolutely buckets about, but then ultimately try as they might. Try as they might. You know as well as I, everything runs on a ratio of 3-5. Agree? Agreed. If you're 3-5, is pointing you to a complete negative, you know, then we have to literally look in the mirror and say, you know what, this, what I've invested my time in, my resources, whatever the case may be, my personality, my kinesics, whatever the case may be, is not suited for this. Mm. Then to bring an entirely full pyramid with a third angle, then you have to be laconic and say, but you know what, in the process of this failure, 
I found something else that could be of value. So fine, I write off a, a negative of 10,000 investment capital, but let me try this and see if it may not perhaps work back the loss that I had uh, lost in that initial move. And who knows, you may work that uh, loss back with interest because to overstate the obvious, talent is something that comes natural to you with the most minimal amount of effort. And more times out of 10, it's often that talent and the marketing thereof that proves three or four or five times the profit. But the problem is people aren't willing to do that introspection. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. I think you're you're absolutely right. And, and it goes back to that need that we all have to be perfect. And at times we don't realize that it is when we are measuring ourselves according to the standards of others and with with um, the expectations of the outside world. And we don't realize that, you know, even when we think somebody else is meeting the mark, maybe they're not, right? We never know. And this is where we need to normalize that we're human. And that our imperfections is what allows us to be our unique selves. So many of us feel like I need to, and, and, and listen, Chris, I'm going to raise my hand. I am a perfectionist and I am the first one who my hand always wants to do it perfectly. And if I don't do it perfectly, then I'd rather not do it. But the reality is that give ourselves permission to do it. Give ourselves permission to fail and give ourselves permission to be beginners and to keep Correct. working at it. Correct. Because when we give ourselves the permission to be beginners, then we give ourselves permission to grow and learn and then say, hey, this is for me. I figured it out. Or, hey, this is not for me, but I still want to be in this field. I still want to be here. How about I surround myself with the right support system to help me along this path? Let's add another dimension to that. Take the word fail. It's four letters. Break mm -hmm. it into an acronym. First action in learning. First Ooh, action that. in learning. Chris, can I borrow that? <laughs> Please, you're more than welcome. I, I, I borrowed it from borrow someone this. else. I, I borrowed it. it from someone else. Perfect. So if people come to the mindset of love failure, love it. Mm. Learn to love it because it's a learning process. You take something out of that experience that will redouble in a return on investment in the short term, going into the midterm, going into the long term. You know this as well as I, Julie, because you're a business entrepreneur. Here's the big mistake that small businesses are making today. And I've said this so many times, but I'll repeat it for perpetuity. The big thing now is we've been in this pandemic for the last two years. Agree? Mm -hmm. A Agreed. lot of people lost their business. They have to go back into the working place. Other people like myself decided, you know what? Let's take the plunge. Internet media entrepreneurship is on the rise. We've got mm -hmm. different skill sets, talents, offerings that we can bring to the public without the need of a conventional marketing model, which is to go to a establishment like, oh, I don't know, Ogilvy or uh, insert whatever marketing firm you would approach mm -hmm. in the States to market your idea. So you have to cough up right. investment capital. You have to cough up um, PR. You have to cough up um, a routine or not a routine, mm -hmm. a strategy to come up with that. But here is the thing. By pushing out your feelers, whichsoever way you should feel, you're already taking that first step to market that idea to the mass public. Technology mm -hmm. has facilitated that, all right? Yep. But you consistently need to look at the market as well to say to yourself, all right, I've got this brand on my left and here I've got this brand on my right, which is my competitor. Why is my competitor charging this price when I can give them at a, at a, just a slightly of a lower cost? Because ultimately, when people see your quality from the first move that you made, they will obviously come to you. And where you think you are working at a loss, you commit what is known as, mm -hmm. and I'll say it out loud, economy of scale, where supply yes. exceeds the demand and you work those negative costs back. This is mm. an overlooked facet in the workplace as a whole. 
And this 100%. has been done since the 1950s. This is not something new. And it mm -hmm. applies as equally to internet media entrepreneurship as with anything else. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that there's so many people in business that, you know, are, well, you know, I want to make X amount of money and high. And, and there's two sides of this coin, too, because I will tell you that I have a lot of clients. I actually just worked with a client last week. Um, we did an intensive day and she invested in, in working with me for one very intensive time period. Now she's been working with me for a while, but she wanted to take her business to the next level. And when we were looking at her prices, she, you know, and she's fairly priced compared to other people okay. that do the similar thing that she does. But I said to her, you realize that you have the capacity and you, in the type of work that you do, the type of transformation that you are making in the lives of other women is worth a lot more than you are pricing yourself. But <laughs> she was hesitant to price herself differently because she doesn't see that. She, going back to what you talked about with the imposter syndrome, it's very easy to allow those saboteur voices to say, ah. who are you to charge I that much? I was waiting much? for that. No one will ever pay <laughs> that. And guess what? As homework, <laughs> while she was sitting here in my office, I said, you have a client call. I want you to show them the value, give and revisit the results that you've had with them. And as you negotiate the new contract, this is the price, you know, and we came up with a price that she was going to charge. And she looked at me and she opened her eyes really wide and she's like, okay. And I think that she, and I said, all you're doing is you have a relationship because that's what sales is. In essence is a relationship. You're also providing value and you're getting a fair exchange for what you're providing, which is payment for your services. And she went ahead, she had a lovely conversation. I walked out of the office, I was doing some other stuff and uh, probably making my tea. And she <laughs> came back and uh, she said, oh, she hired me in that price. And I said, are you surprised? <laughs> you know I'm not, right? <laughs> and I think that this is a lot of what happens, but I love the concept that you're talking about that you have the ability to scale also. If sure. you're not comfortable and, and you are not in a place in which you're like, oh, I don't know if I can charge that, but you wanna give yourself a competitive advantage, you can price a little lower than your competitors a and little, then grow. A little. a little being the key exactly. word, right? Yeah, for well, sure. It, brings, it comes back to the, to the three to five ratio, Julie, and I say it for a reason. It takes three years to show profitability. It takes, uh, no, 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 I got that reversed. It takes three years to get yourself known colloquially, either mm -hmm. in your area or nationwide. It takes five years. No, again, I reverse that. I repeat. Yep. It takes three years to establish profitability and it mm -hmm. takes five years to establish yeah. name colloquial mm -hmm. um, brand recognition. And it's brand so recognition, true. Thank you. Uh, either locally or even nationwide. So it is imperative mm -hmm. to start at a price for your, either your brand or your service at a little bit of a lower rate, yeah. but then revisit that at six months. If you're Absolutely. not, if you're consistently showing a negative, okay, why am I showing a negative? Do I have perhaps to tweak my price just a little bit higher or a little mm -hmm. bit lower? Do I need to yeah. rethink my brand a little bit? Just redo that manifesto? There's small little touches in those first six mm -hmm. months and then see how it exponentially grows and grows. Yeah. This any Tom, Dick and Harry can do, but unfortunately not to judge and paint with a broad brush, we live in a society today worldwide where everyone wants to be a Sally Sob Story or a Hard Luck Harry. And to tell you the mm -hmm. truth, it's actually sickening, sickening yeah. to see. I, I agree with you. And, you know, I'd like that you talk about the three to five ratio and I'll, for your listeners, um, I, I want to, I've been reading the book and I apologize because I typically read two to three books at a time, um, but I'm reading the As book um, from the founder of, um, of Nike. And when he first started his business, nobody knew the swoosh. Nobody knew the just do it slogan. What they mm -hmm. knew is they knew him. He went out, pounded the payment, talked to people, showed them the product, talked about what they did, got people to love 
him and buy the product because of him. And as he became profitable, then he started to um, switch. And now people don't know who he is. Obviously, I can't remember his name at the time, right? But <laughs> I know Nike and of I know course. the slogan and I know Everyone what their products the are. And I know where to get them. And I think that this is exactly what you want for your business is create, pound the payment, put yourself out there. Um, you know, my dad used to say, be seen, be known, be understood. And that's something that I, I embody that not only you. in my career, but in my, my business. I I'm want people to know me. Be seen, go, be go known, it. be understood. Yeah. You're stealing it from my dad, but he liked that. They did someone in South Africa picking something up from him. So that's great. And this what? is one of the things that makes us um, continue to be sustainable in our business is the relationships that then allow us to show up um, and be the brand that people are looking for, even if they're not looking for you personally, but they're looking for your brand. Correct. And you know this as well as I. We were the good old days of the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. was drilled this into my temple when it came to coming up with content in, in, in terrestrial radio back in the day. Because, because it's a creative medium and podcasting is a creative medium. We want to make it showy. We want to make it um, something out of the ordinary. But then more times mm -hmm. out of 10, it's a miss. Why? Because we tend to overcomplicate it. And it yeah. is as true to life as anything else oh 100% simple <laughs> can i just say i i will tell you when i first started my business and i was in the corp in the corporate world for 20 years running successfully uh corporations for other people making millions of dollars in these companies and when i started my business i made it so complicated oh but i need to have a system and you know what i need to have these wonderful logo. What colors and fonts should my logo be? And my website needs to have a hundred navigation pages. And when people work for me, I'm going to have this outline and these are the things that they're going to use. I will tell you this last client that I was talking to earlier today, you know, the system that I used with her, I just talked to her, listened to her. I paid attention to what she was working through and we revisited some of the margins in her business and talked about her financials, but I didn't have to have anything fancier than just who I am to be able to talk to her and mentor her through the process and reflect to her what she was saying and show her what she was really uh, needing and that she already had the answers in herself because that's what a coach is doing is just letting you practice, but is really honing in the skills that you already have. True. And in itself, the notion of listening has become criminally underrated. Why? Because we often want to come up with the answer before we've actually listened to it through and through. I'll raise my hand. I'm guilty because of it. Now, tell me something, Julie. At what point did you decide enough? I can't do this anymore. There has to be something on the other side. There has to be that... Um, light at the end of the tunnel and by Jove it's not, certainly not going to be a candle being powered by a power generator whereabouts did you realize that you needed to make a change and ultimately deciding to start your own business and coaching women in this matter of overcoming childhood traumas so, and the like well I think for me um I've always worked with women in my career, even though I worked in the education field and educational companies, and we obviously had lots of males and um, business owners that, you know, that worked in our company that were male. My primary coaching and leadership was really geared to women because as I climbed the corporate ladder, the higher I got, um, I made it from manager to director to executive director to VP and then the C-suite. One of the things that I kept seeing is that there weren't a lot of women as you continue to move up in the field. Um, mm. and, and, and we can spend hours talking why, why not, or you know, all of that. But I knew Whatever. that I wanted more. And I knew that I wanted more for my life. And I knew that I wanted to bring along other women. Um, because many of these women would say to me, Julie, oh my God, you're so confident. Look at you do what you do. And I just kept thinking, no, I'm not that confident sometimes. I don't have it all together. But you know, the, the differentiator for me is that I keep showing up 
even when I don't feel like I'm doing it right. Even if, uh, you know, the first action and learning is what I'm doing and, and all of these things Correct. are very important. So I had a plan. Um, about two years ago, right before the pandemic started, I'd been uh, booked to speak at several conferences. My, you know, the company that I worked for was doing well, and we had a great big plan for the things that we were going to do. And then all of a sudden, I said, you know what? In five years, I, I'm going to stop volunteering because I did volunteer at colleges and universities locally in some non-for-profits that I volunteer with in, in helping women. And I thought, I'm going to... I'm going to do, you know, coaching for them. I'm going to open up my and, and start to transition into coaching more and testing the water as to what it would be to do this full time. And then uh, March, I never forget, March 21st, 2020, I got laid off. <laughs> the company was hit very hard as an educational company. And when I got the call from our CEO, um, as as and as the um, executive, I knew that was the right move. I'm like, yep, we, we're bleeding money. We need to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm a big chunk of the money that they could save. And so are the other people, right? Um, that unfortunately were going to be separating from the company. But at the same time, um, there was a little bit of uncertainty because I'd been defined by that corporate role for so long. And then all of a sudden it happened and I thought, well, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get another job. I'm not going to look for another job. I'm just going to go out on my own and move up my plan. And I may not have, you know, the I I may not have the plan fully hashed out, but I'm going to figure it out. And I did, I will say, struggle in the very beginning of my business. But it was something that just every day you keep showing up every day. You keep learning. You keep falling forward in taking assessment and and making an educated plan based on the data that you're collecting and the things that are working and the things that are not. By the time uh, the end of 2020, I had a a more refined understanding of what people were looking for when it came to a coach, a business coach, what women in my target demographic needed and how I can go and help them specifically with what they needed to create the transformation so they can build the life and business they love. Madam, I have to congratulate you on that. And to be entirely honest with you, and I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt unnecessarily, I for one have no problem with women in the workplace achieving either a director's position or an MD position or a COO or even a CEO position. And... I'm going to say it out there, men who are sadly sexist need to do me a favor. Put a helmet on, build a bridge, cry me a river, get over it. (laughs) Times are changing, but somewhere there has to be a compassionate middle ground. Why do I say it? Yes, there's this thing called the War of the Roses. I've certainly experienced it in my uh, uh, work experience. And I've always, from the doorman to the janitor to even the director of a company, I've treated them with kid gloves and I've shown them my utmost respect. But there also came a time where I said, enough is enough and I'm going to start standing up for myself. So I'm going to say this to me, if you are wrong, be it man or even woman, I will take you down and I will put my Mm -hmm. foot down in front of you. So there has to be a twain that has to be met that if we're going to work together, we're going to have to accept the most or equal amount of responsibility in the workplace. It's not just because I'm the fairest sex or I'm the <laughs> less sex, inverted commas, doesn't make me less susceptible to the responsibilities of life. We're responsible for one another. Let's work together. If we blow up our, our cheekbones because of the fact that we disagree with one another, let's go outside, talk it out, and let's not yell sexual harassment at every given clause if one just makes a joke and whatever the case may be, come on. It's the 21st century. Times have changed exponentially. We've lost lives. Let's get this economy back going and let's let's get our heads out of our rectums and try and see if we can get a culpable middle ground. And I commend you for well, the Chris, work that you have done. Thank you. And, and, and the one flip side of that coin that I also want to address, because I think that Please this do. is going back to the conversation that we've been dancing around. There are so many women that 
you know, there's a statistic and I, and I'm, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I will tell you that That's fine. Um, if a woman sees a job posting um, and a man sees the same job posting, the man probably hits 60% of that requirement and that job posting and will apply. Whereas a woman, um, they may hit 80% and won't apply. And the reason being is because women feel that um, they need to hit 100% of that job requirement to do it right. And whereas men are more willing to take the leap and be more confident and like, oh, I'll figure it out. Whereas women also, we haven't seen, we haven't seen a lot of other women in those positions. We haven't seen. Um, you know, for instance, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm an anomaly in some ways. I grew up in a household in which my grandmother owned a business, was very successful, a very strong leader. Um, she was born at the turn of the, ninth, of the 20th century, but she was very independent. You don't sure. see that. And I, I had that example, whereas other women, you know, for as qualified as you can be, for as strong minded, intelligent, um, hardworking as many women could be, They haven't necessarily seen that example. And when they have, a lot of times they still will question their ability to do the things that they can do. And And for that reason, I want to support them. Well, they haven't they haven't even um, been told or they haven't received the opportunity to hear, you know what? It's okay. It's it's okay to fail at this, but go and try. You'll never know. You know, I remember uh, one of my biggest um, failures in, in my career, I was having a conversation with my dad and he was such a great mentor personally, professionally, but um, I was devastated because I had this big goal. We were going to expand to new territory. We needed to have, I don't even know what it was, but I hit the, I, 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 I did not hit the mark for the company and it was such a blow right to my self-esteem and i really thought what a failure they're gonna fire me they're gonna think i'm terrible and that that's nowhere near what was happening but my dad said to me hey honey remember babe ruth you know the baseball player Mm. and we're big yankee fans right we're we're, i'm a new yorker he's a new yorker we love the yankees and um he's like babe ruth was number one and not because of all the home runs but because of all the times that he struck out and he had to have more strikeouts in order to make those home runs than anybody else. And what we don't realize is that we have to have those numbers, right? And the more that we fail, the more that we are willing to create that level of learning for ourselves, the more that we're going to be able to get to the next level. You know, only 88% of women, well, the number is 88% of women, and this number I know for sure, 88% of women are not successful in their business and make less than $100,000 per year. Only 12%. The reason why is because a lot of women are not giving themselves credit. A lot of these women are not paying attention to Um, what is possible only if they keep going. Instead of telling themselves, oh, I didn't hit that goal, I didn't get the client, they give up or they stop trying or they think that they're not good enough. And this is just something that is ingrained and I'm hoping that through working with women and creating uh, the programming that I do, that I help them believe in what is possible for them because I've seen it, but it's just a matter of practicing that skill. And let me add some extra sympathy to that. I understand why. And I'm, remember, I'm a man. I think the reason why women are afraid is, remember, you and I are of the opposite gender. Women are analytical as equal to being emotional. And those mm-hmm. two aspects yeah. run hand in hand. Okay? 100%. We as men run on testosterone. And so we often tend to think with the hard head <laughs> yeah. and often with the fist. But mm-hmm. here is where the twain often gets overlooked. Think about it, and you can tell me if I'm right, or you can even tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. The one thing that often provides a great, great conflict is the matter with regards to nepotism and cronyism in any company. Yeah. 
because who wants to get the tender? Are we going to go to a dentist who we know and we trust and we love? Or are we going to go to a dentist that we don't bugger all about, but supposedly they're good? So ultimately, at the end of the day, the dentist that we know and that we love, we're going to get the contract to. But the person who you're not always willing to give a shot might have the answer that you need. Yeah. So it's not this always is, as it, socioeconomic yeah. as people like to think it should be. It's more of a fact of lack of understanding of mm-hmm. workplace fundamentals, number one, lack of communication. And I'm going to be very blunt. A lot of people have their heads stuck up firmly up their, their rectum because, unfortunately, it's just far too easy to disrupt communication by being all too serious and not doing proper character study of people in the workplace. And it leads to undesirable conversations in which it is just too easy to yell sexual harassment, blue murder, and it just makes the whole situation uncomfortable for the entire company as a whole, which leads to negative profit. And it's unnecessary, Julie. Yeah, there's a lot of different components, you know, and and it's it, and we're talking obviously in in very general terms, and there's so many different instances and nuances that can go into people's individual circumstances. But the biggest takeaway that I want for people is to know that number one, if you have a goal, whether you're a man or a woman know exactly that the best way to get to where you want to be is that consistent daily action, creating the right habits, making sure that you also see what is sabotaging you. Is that imposter syndrome? Is Uh it that pleaser saboteur? What are the things that are working against you? And then really work on showing up and being able to fail in the process because through the failure is what will allow you to be getting closer to where you want to be. Because if you never take that first step, you'll stay where you are and your goals and your dreams will be farther away than you intended it for them to be. And Julia, uh, I have to say again, I think the the service that you are delivering for women is indelible. And you know what? I really want to see those those women on the cover of Forbes and Time and so on and so forth. Quickly, just to wind down, you're a podcaster. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me, what is your podcast and what is a delve in? Is it basically just an expansion of what you teach and um, your entrepreneurship and the like? You know, the podcast started as um, I always said I wanted a podcast. Really? <laughs> I was invited to a radio show when I was 19, 20. And I thought, this is so cool. But I never pursued that that opportunity or never saw or thought that it was possible for me. Um, But when I got laid off through the pandemic, um, I was supposed to have a very big birthday and I was planning a very big birthday party. And sadly for me, I did not see the writing on the wall. I, my husband knew that, you know, from May, from March to April, we were not going to be out of this uh, lockdown. And he knew that he had an extrovert in, in his hands that needed to have some sort of outlet. And he ordered the podcasting equipment. He'd done sound through college. And he said, Hey, you're starting a podcast. I'll edit it for you and you get started. And I thought, what, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. And then I thought the, you know, the more that I talked about it. Um, my brand is Go Confidently. That's my favorite quote. It's a quote that I heard I from it. my dad. Um, and I thought, you know what? Let's build a house of confidence where people can come and talk about uh, normalizing that what we see in the journey of somebody else when we're in social media, it's not necessarily what is going on or inside for them. So my podcast, Casa de Confidence, talks about Um, talks with women. We have very fun conversations and some cool dudes, I will say. I do have males come to my podcast (laughs) and we talk about what is your journey? I want people to know like, hey, I fell 10 times before I hit that million or I was not always a talented artist. I had to practice or, you know, I struggled in my marriage and now we're at a better place. So I want to hear the stories and I want my listeners to hear the stories of incredible individuals who are going confidently in the direction of their dreams and they're building the type of life and business they want, but by doing the simple habits that it takes for them to get there. So that's what the podcast is about. And my husband is my producer, uh, 
uh, editor and co-host for the beginning of the show where we have a little commentary and conversations and uh, introduce the guests together. And that's sort of a, a family affair here in which we invite people to our home to have this great conversation. Well, you know what, uh, Julie, along with all your other successes, congratulations. Um, this has been so insightful. And I mean, you're so easy to talk to and you're so much of fun. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, your insight. And you know what? I'm elated with you. And I'm excited for you to see the mm. outcome of what we have uh, uh, discussed here today. And you know what? Just keep fighting the good fight. Keep putting that good step forward. And bien hecho. Oh, Chris, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. I think that having these conversations and not being afraid to talk about the difficult topics and how people are creating an impact and a ripple effect in the world are, are crucial conversations. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Anytime. Hasta luego. Okay. And Chris, don't forget, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Did it to you, my dearest. Thank you. <laughs>